Hello, pals. I'm so very tired this week. If you read the Privacy Beat newsletter last week, you know that it's been, oh, it's been a very rough transition back to work after that blissful holiday break. Tara Troop gave us the week off between Christmas and New Year's, and I took the opportunity to positively sprint on board a cruise ship leaving Baltimore and headed to the Bahamas. Coben's wife, Keegan, uh, my pal, you know him from the IPP, was my cruise partner, and he's like a professional cruiser, so he showed me the ropes. Cruises, I learned, are highly divisive in the court of public opinion. I found that out because whenever I told someone I was going on the cruise before I left, the reaction was either, oh my god, you're gonna die, you're gonna love it, or a look of utter pity, and then a slow shake of a head, looking downward, and then with a glance up, you couldn't pay me to get on a cruise. Gabe Maldoff, I'm talking to you. So I was certainly nervous that I was going to absolutely hate it. Like the crowd was really split 50-50 in terms of the total number of people I discussed this with on whether I would love it or hate it. But I'm here to tell you, I'd do it again. The downside is you spend quite a few days on the ship itself, like where you're just doing ship stuff because you're traveling. And there's only so many times you can go to the beer pub and watch the Brazilian cover band. I'm going to stop right there and tell you that I just told you a lie. I could never get enough of those five undiscovered talent gems. They were incredible. But there's also the thing where you're eating in what feels like a shopping mall's, you know, eating gallery grounds, wherever they feed the cattle. And everyone around you is a stranger. And they've all got very different expectations of what's socially allowed and what isn't. Net net, though, it was such a win. On the third morning, I swear, bluebirds gently woke me up by beaking my bed sheets to a lift and I stepped out of bed gracefully onto our balcony and it was warm and salty and sea glass blue everywhere. Getting time with direct sun in December, however you do it, is an extraordinary gift. I feel like that's why people in Colorado are so happy. The sun's just always right there, even in the winter. Anyway, you came to hear about privacy stuff. So let's talk about some privacy stuff. Today's guests are going to debrief you on what's happening with state privacy laws so far in 2023 here in the U.S., But first, I got to debrief you on some news. Chris Burns, amazing audio engineer, give me my ticking time bomb uh, news music, would you? Makes things a little more exciting. If you somehow haven't yet heard, Meta got nailed for switching up its legal basis for serving behavioral advertising or personalized ads. There's a whole lot of drama to dispatch here, but for this briefing, I'll simply say that the end result, after the member states did a whole bunch of shit talking and finger wagging, is that Meta has to clean up its act within three months. Last week, the Irish DPC fined Meta 390 million euros and said that using contractual necessity as a way to validate its basis for serving personalized advertising is invalid. Obviously, all of this drama started with Max Schrems and his group NYOB. They filed the initial complaints with Helen. I feel like I can call her Helen now. No, we've hung out before, recorded a couple of podcasts together back in the day. She's probably cool with it. Also, and this is semi-breaking news, the Irish DPC announced today, January 19th, when I'm recording this intro, that it's fining WhatsApp 5.5 million euros for the same offenses as mentioned above. The first fine um, from last week or whenever it was recently was for 390 million euros, and that was split between Facebook and Instagram, which Meta owns. Anyway, the implications of this are pretty intense. Like, you got to be transparent with people about why you're changing your policies and you can't hide that stuff away in a back room somewhere no one's ever going to read, which was part of the problem stated. Meta wasn't transparent with people. And if you're doing behavioral ads, 
you do want to now look at your disclosures as well as the legal basis you're using to do it. I also think it's kind of fun to watch the one-stop shop at play. Like, no, one-stop shopping, it didn't make the process faster necessarily. And I do like to call this whole thing drama, but actually it's kind of fun to watch the member states weigh in as, you know, members of the EDPB and kind of handle checks and balances to an extent. The DPC was ready to agree with Meta's basis for serving ads, and the others stepped in all like, whoa, 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 whoa. Or maybe they were doing it more like Mr. Belding from Stay by the Bell with like a, hey, 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 what is going on here? Man, I'm spending too much time alone in this apartment. Things are getting weird. All right. That took a lot of time. It's the only news story I'm going to talk about this week because I want to get onto the show. Listen, eight states have introduced comprehensive privacy bills as of this recording, so Happy 2023. Best of luck to all of us. But hey, I wanted to bring my pals Kier Lamont and David Stoss on the show to tell the story of these laws, or sorry, these bills, and the trends that they're seeing. So here's your heads up. If you like the show, would you do me a favor and follow us on whatever podcast platform you use? Oh, but would you also share it on your social? Several of you do this on the regular, and I see it, and I wildly appreciate it. I'm talking to you, Stefan Gearing and Nick Ginger just to name a couple. Thanks so much for helping me out. Also, please feel very welcome to check out my bi-weekly newsletter, the Privacy Beat newsletter, which you can find at terratrue.com. You can either just glance at it on the site, or if you like what you see, subscribe to it. Share it? Something? Lastly, and you'll see why I'm saying this shortly, a huge shout out to who is arguably my youngest listener, Aaron Stoss. Thanks for listening, little buddy, especially on the way home from the mountains. That must have been a long drive. Appreciate you. All right. Love y'all. Talk soon. I honestly didn't realize that 2023 was going to get off like with quite the bang that it did in terms of state laws. Y'all probably saw that coming based on your relationships with various legislatures. Uh, and trends for January in general. But it's been a busy month here as uh, we were just talking about the race to be the first to tweet uh, the new state laws that have been introduced in Kier is often right up on it. Uh, competition, I think, from David and Joe, probably. But uh, Kier, were you surprised by how the year started off? Or is this sort of standard practice for new legislative seasons? Sure. So uh, thanks for having me uh, on. Really looking forward to this uh, conversation. Uh, I think that generally speaking for folks who kind of follow state privacy legislation pretty closely, this year has uh, mostly gone according to chalk. We are only a few weeks in and I know there are kind of many surprises uh, awaiting for us. Uh, At this point, though, we've got around uh, eight new kind of comprehensive privacy bills that have been introduced so far this year. Of those bills, seven of them are reintroductions from prior sessions. So we've seen them before. We've also got a series of new uh, proposals that uh, are dedicated on more kind of sectoral privacy issues, be it children's privacy and the design of uh, products and services targeted towards children, be it health 
data privacy bills are somewhat in response to the U.S. Supreme Court's decision in Dobbs, uh, be they biometric privacy proposals or other bills kind of uh, focusing on AI. So kind of a big trend that I'm seeing in the state privacy landscape, and I think one that uh, smart people like David and other folks largely anticipated, was that, yes, there will be comprehensive privacy bills that will be discussed, debated, and advanced this year, but we're also seeing increasing attention to some of these more sectoral, limited concepts trying to establish new rights and protections around particular highly sensitive categories of data or uh, particular uses of new and emerging technology. David, uh, you put out a tracker uh, that that uh, that tracks, for lack of a better word, all of these privacy <laughs> bills. Uh, you just put one out, I think, yesterday. How uh, cumbersome was putting that list together? Were you able to just look back since many of them are reintroductions and sort of just spout off what you already know? Uh, well, thanks for having me on. Uh, I love being on the podcast. Uh, you know, it's great being on with Cure. Uh, I think, you know, people out there would be kind of interested. You know, Cure and I, uh, it's friendly competition, right? I mean, like, we're, we're actually tend to be in constant communication and trading notes on, on those types of things. So, uh, you know, with, with, with Duval, the IAPP, and a, a few others. Um, before I answer your question, though, Angelique, I, I thought it worth, you can always edit this out if you want, um, but we were actually coming down from the mountains yesterday and listening to your podcast in the family car. We listened to the two episodes uh, where you interviewed uh, Stacy uh, from the California Attorney General's office. Um, and, you know, I, the reason I raise this, right, is not to like fanboy you, right? Uh, but I've got three boys. And this morning, my youngest boy, Aaron, he says to my wife, he says, hey, mom, he says, uh, when we were uh, listening to that woman in the car yesterday, why did she tell us that she loves us, right? <laughs> During the podcast. So, so you are my, I would say you are uh, a certain six-year-old's favorite podcaster out there, Angelique. So if you would like to maybe in the intro of this podcast, tell Aaron specifically that you love him, you know, maybe that would get you some traction. Oh, uh, gosh. Yes. yes. So, I love that story. That just made my whole day. Also, I can't believe that the boys tolerated listening to a privacy podcast all the way home from the mountain <laughs> some pretty amazing kids that's very sadly cool. they are my children so sadly <laughs> you know there is a cost of admission um so yeah i mean it's funny what six-year-olds listen to right but like out of the blue this morning he just why did that woman tell us that she loves us right oh my gosh uh, that's so cute so to answer your question uh yes we put out we have the calendar um which you know covers the comprehensive state privacy laws and we've done that it's the third year we've done that with the calendar you can get to all the laws and then we do the weekly alerts as well we come out every monday morning um is it easy no that was about 10 hours of work over the weekend to be <laughs> to be blunt that was about 10 hours of work um because i think you know you want to check a number of different resources and i think it's becoming as Kier mentioned he's dead right it's becoming harder to do those things because you know, like a lot of these bills are coming out and you have to kind of look and skim them and understand like Kira and I can look at a, at a, at a, you know, Washington privacy act variant and like we get it figured out within a, a few minutes, but these new bills on health privacy, automated decision-making, um, children's privacy, it's becoming more nuanced and we don't have a steady state of understanding what those bills look like right now. So it ends up being a fairly large lift to get it done. 
I'm interested that these sectoral bills are coming out because I guess because what it makes me think about is the way that we sort of criticize the fact that in the U.S. we don't have a federal law yet and we just have these sectoral bills to deal with, which is better than nothing. You know, I'm glad we had COPPA, you know, back in the 90s and not, you know, we didn't have to wait until 2020. But is this a trend? Like, is there anything that we can attribute this to in terms of this to me, the states haven't had that much trouble unless you look at Washington, and I'm sure you guys can think of others off the top of your head, like haven't had a super hard time passing these these more comprehensive bills. But is the theory that if they handle these sectorally that they have an easier time going through because there's simply less to sort of have to negotiate topic-wise? Uh, either of you, I'd, I'd pose that to. You want to take that, here? I'm happy to talk, but... Uh, sure, I can lead off on that. Um, I think it is largely going to depend on an issue-by-issue basis and really a lawmaker-by-lawmaker basis on what uh, specific kind of factors or concerns are driving the introduction of any particular bill focused on any specific issue. Uh, Certainly, there's more and more attention to... uh, data collection, privacy rights, uh, privacy abuses uh, across many different technologies and and sectors and increasingly. Uh, and I think you have to look on a case-by-case basis. So we mentioned these kind of new health data privacy bills that are kind of coming out that seek to establish uh, consent requirements and restrictions on the use of a broad category of personal health data. In many cases, it seems like the motivation uh, for bringing those bills is in response to the uh, Supreme Court's uh, decision in the Dobbs case last year. Uh, for, for other topics, uh, children's privacy is definitely kind of an area where it's oftentimes easy to gain bipartisan interest and support. We want to protect the kids. Uh, we also have, uh, in that case, a uh, new law enacted in the United Kingdom that seeks to establish protections for children's privacy, yes, but also goes a little bit f- further and seeks to regulate the design of products that children are using. So that goes a little bit further than traditional privacy concerns. We've seen a model for that now emerge in California. And so now there's a template that other state lawmakers concerned about the children wanting to do something about children's online experiences can uh, copy and paste, uh, um, uh, switch in in some ways and and bring that forward in their own state legislatures. So I think you have to really look on a case-by-case basis what is motivating each of these different uh, categories of sectoral privacy bills that we're increasingly seeing uh, introduced. Yeah, maybe I can take off from this problem with being on a podcast with Kier, right? He's, he's sounds so intelligent. And I come back on with my Jersey accent, right? Even though I live in Denver and have for years, right? And they're like, who's the dumb guy? Right? I love Jersey <laughs> accents. I love regional accents so much. You Jersey on, my friend. So, uh, I think here's a lot of great points. So maybe I can just, instead of repeating, I'm just kind of add uh, some flavor. I mean, uh, you know, these, these sectoral, right, children's one is, is just really top of mind for me right now. Uh, the states aren't going to stop, right? Like, just because a state like California has passed CCK or Connecticut's passed the Connecticut bill or Colorado's passed the Colorado bill, like, people are still interested in these topics and these 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 large omnibus bills that they passed don't really address children's privacy. They, they do in a, a, a small respect, but not like the way that the age appropriate design code does in California. So like these state lawmakers aren't just going to switch it off, right? And be like, hey, you know, like we're Cincinnati, we go back up to the hill to our farm and like we're done, right? Like, no, they want to do more. 
And I think like some of this too replicates the feds, right? I mean, like the feds are considering children's privacy cures much better on those issues than I am. But, you know, they've got the 80, uh, the, the uh, uh, gosh, here now I'm blanking on the, the uh, American data product, the AA, ADPPA, right? Uh, federal bill. But at the same time, you saw uh, federal lawmakers running uh, children's privacy as well, right? And so I think it's basically, you know, and, and you also see Biden in his State of the Union address talking about children's privacy as an area that needs to be regulated. So I think on a state level, I think lawmakers see harms and they want to address it. And they're just not willing to basically be like, hey, I'm done. And if anything, I think it whets their appetite that they were able to pass large privacy bills and get through that process. And now they think like, well, I learned a lot and then I might as well keep on going. So yeah, I think we're going to see a lot more. It's fine. I, I think the conversation has changed in this country, in the state level from like, hey, who's going to pass a comprehensive privacy bill to who's going to pass a comprehensive privacy bill that goes beyond and does more than what we see today in the existing laws. And then who's going to pass something like a children's bill or an, an uh, algorithmic discrimination bill or a healthcare bill directed at DOPS, right? The, the conversations are changing that we're having, you know, behind the scenes right now. That's really interesting. Um, before we get too much more into this year, you said, uh, I think that seven of the eight bills here that were introduced in 2023 so far are bills that had been introduced in 2022. Um, and then are those bills that failed and then had to be tweaked and reintroduced, or can you reintroduce a bill that from the previous year? Yeah, you can reintroduce the same bill for a previous year. It may be the case that if you've shown interest in privacy legislation in a prior session, lots of people are going to want to come and talk to you, and you may make uh, changes in response to particular feedback, which may or may not uh, make a bill have easier uh, prospects for advancing uh, the next session. Uh, I would say, like, look, generally speaking, you're never going to go broke betting on inaction in privacy legislation. In this country, we've settled into something of a pattern where every year, somewhere between 25, 30 states run comprehensive privacy bills, and ultimately, one or maybe two of those states it actually end up enacting uh, new comprehensive privacy laws. Uh, and so of the seven states I've said that have been reintroductions from previous years, uh, it's actually been quite a range, I would say. You've got states like uh, New York and uh, Kentucky, where you see this iteration of the privacy legislation actually look quite different than what we saw in the past. And that could have implications for what happens for those bills in those state legislatures this year. We've also got other bills, uh, let's say in Indiana, in Iowa, that came pretty close last year, actually got through one uh, chamber in the state legislature in each of those states in overwhelming votes last year didn't quite get over the finish line, weren't enacted, but we see those two uh, bills have been reintroduced, looking pretty much identical to where they ended up last year. So those are definitely going to be bills that we're going to be tracking to see if maybe some conversations have been had that's going to allow those bills to actually get over the finish line this year. So I misspoke, or I didn't misspeak, I just misthought uh, that, you know, as folks who really track this closely, I guess I wasn't realizing that 20 to 30 states typically will introduce a privacy bill and then it doesn't get anywhere. I was thinking, you know, the last year just feels filled with all of these success stories, uh, Connecticut, Virginia, Utah, you know, it just, it seemed like the ones that we focused on really went somewhere, but 
I'm neglecting the ones, I guess, that didn't uh, get enough traction. So in your mind here, it's not like you're going to introduce a privacy bill and it's just going to walk its way through the door, uh, you know, into onto legislative floors and get signed into law. There's still you're still really facing an uphill battle most of the time. I would say so. But this isn't just a privacy issue. Uh the orders of tens of thousands of different bills are introduced at the state level each year. A fraction of those see a hearing, a fraction of those get voted out of committee, and smaller and smaller down on the line to actually kind of be, being enacted. Uh, when it comes to privacy legislation, there are some kind of indicators uh, at the state level that we try to look for to see whether or not a bill may really have legs and has the prospect of being enacted in a particular year. Uh, does it have support from party leadership? Does it have bipartisan support? Is it does it is it supported in both the uh, state Senate and the state House? Uh, do other influential politicians in the state support this legislation? Has the governor or attorney general made it a point of supporting this bill and trying to push it through? So those are some of the things we look forward to see. Is this one of these bills that is just going to be introduced and we'll never hear from again? Or will we be going be going back and watching committee hearing after committee hearing, hearing amendment after amendment to see whether or not this is going to be our sixth or seventh uh, state comprehensive privacy law. Yeah, maybe, maybe I can jump in there too. I mean, kind of nailed in. I wrote an article um, over the summer uh, and then another follow-up article after the 2022 election, right, which is, um, you know, looking for states where we see signs that like, hey, this this could happen. There's traction here. A lot of these bills get filed. They're DOA, right? I mean, like they're never going to go anywhere. They're never going to get a committee hearing. Um, so we're always like guys like here and I are always kind of like trading notes and looking to see like, where are these signs? Uh, maybe this is the second or third year. They've run the bill. Maybe there was an impediment last year to the bill, like a prior right of action, and that's gone. Um, maybe the dynamics in the chambers change. Michigan is a big deal, right? So Michigan was Republican, and then in an election now flipped. It's all Democrat in Michigan right now. So a Democrat-run bill that got introduced in September of this year uh, by Senator Bayer, right? She introduced that, and she had a Republican House and a Republican Senate. And that flipped in November. Now it's a Democrat House and a Democrat Senate, and a Democrat governor, a Democrat attorney general, a Democrat secretary of state, right? So all those like little things that we look for uh, to see if it's got momentum, right? Uh, yeah, we, we try to we try to identify those and see whether there's impediments. And I will say too, right? And I, I've said this before and, and uh, uh, bears repeating now, I think in some respects it is, it is really hard to get a good privacy bill passed. It's really hard to get a good privacy. Not so hard to get a bad privacy bill passed. We've seen bad privacy bills passed in lightning speed, right? But like good ones are really hard because the nuance really, really matters in these privacy bills. And you know, you get tons and tons and tons of stakeholders that come out and want their piece of this twisted to this. I said twisted is not a great word, but modified or tweaked, you know, to this and that and the other thing. Um, and then when you're trying to like figure out how that works across multiple states and, and how that would ripple, um, that becomes really complicated. And these state lawmakers have their hands full when they're trying to navigate all these nuances and try to get it right. What would you say at a high level? I'm just curious. You know, you don't have to go get too into the weeds here because this is an on the spot question. But what makes a good privacy bill versus a bad privacy? I refuse to answer your question. No, <laughs> what makes a good point? As, you know, it's funny because Kier and I, uh, we tend to debate these like on weekends, right? Like, like we had this argument over, uh, argument's not broken. I mean, like, you know, debate over like dark patterns. What was dark patterns we did a couple weekends ago, Kier? 
Um, you know, like, so like there's even, you know, the nuances here really matter. Um, I think, you know, I mean, what, what is it? What's it, the go on Katana Bam? And I try never like to offer opinions of these type of things, right? But I would say, you know, I, I think Connecticut is a very good model uh, bill for others to follow. I think, you know, every time this Washington Privacy Act variant goes through the process and it engages in more and more stakeholdering and more and more like thought process and it's looked to improve the bill, I think you get a better product. Now, like Colorado does, Colorado covers nonprofits, Connecticut does not cover nonprofits. So we're going to have to kind of see how that plays out and see how that impacts, you know, but I think there's, there's, you know, as far as rights go, like when I see a bill that doesn't provide the typical rights, you know, the, like what I think is industry standard rights right now, it's, it's almost like, well, what's happening here? Like, like we've, we've moved to like, that's not the debate. Like we might have to debate like the nuances of like the data broker exceptions and those types of things. But certainly not the rights, right? We're not talking about whether the right to correction should exist or not. Like that bell has been rung, right? Um, so I think, like, yeah, you kind of look and see whether the lawmaker has has really paid attention to what's happening in the industry um, with other states, and whether they want to like build on top of that or they want to go below that. And you know, bluntly, you know, bills like Indiana and Iowa are more business friendly. Certainly, more business friendly derivatives of the Washington Privacy Act. Um, and other states like the Connecticut's and the Colorado's of the world are, are more consumer friendly. So we look for those aspects as well. And it's up to other people to opine on what what they think um, is good or is not good. Obviously, you know, stakeholders have very, very strong opinions on these types of things. I think my my for my process, I think like readability, interoperability, definitional alignment across other uh, uh, state laws, those types of things are incredibly important for clients and incredibly important for developing this this law in this country. I, I don't necessarily rank the bills on kind of a good, bad spectrum, or at least I don't do that on podcasts. Uh, what I think <laughs> is uh, kind of the difficulty in getting something, some of these bills through that David, I think is alluding to is that if you want to follow kind of directly in the footsteps of something another state has already done, where compliance programs have already been built out, where kind of the traps and different debates have already been run, you're going to have an easier time following that approach. Uh, if you're going to try to do something new, try to kind of raise the bar for privacy rights and protections in the United States and do something new, that's when you're going to run into kind of a lot more issues and you're really going to see everyone want to come out and talk through all the implications of what that individual new right or protection uh, would be. And that can make it much uh, a much more difficult process to run through that kind of feedback process and to pass something that expands or, or raises the bar. And I think last year we saw uh, Connecticut uh, passed legislation that did some really great new stuff. It included a right to revoke consent that we haven't seen before. It included uh, stronger protections for biometric data that we haven't seen before. And that was really the process of three years of effort to get uh, Connecticut over the finish line. On the other hand, we had Utah, which did some different things, but generally speaking, didn't raise the bar. And that's a bill we saw move forward pretty quickly in the state legislature and get enacted. So I think that kind of speaks to some of the dynamics when lawmakers consider and try to advance uh, state-level privacy laws. To catch everybody up and to be clear, let's just uh, talk about, really, I'm going to just list which states have actually introduced bills this year. And I don't have my list up on my screen, and I was going to make here uh, go through it. But then I saw that up in his screen right now, if you're listening to the podcast, you can't see him, but 
just over his shoulder, he has a whiteboard of all of the bills that have been introduced in the states right now. So I'm just going to go through uh, here with my cheat sheet. We've got Kentucky, New York, Tennessee. Does that say? Tennessee. Okay. Yep. Oklahoma, Indiana. Then there's two things in the way, but I think Maryland is one. No. Uh, Maryland, not this year. They do have a very interesting Bipper style bill. Uh, so we have Indiana, Oregon, really interesting bill. Everyone should be following that this year. We've got a proposed amendment to the uh, Virginia cons- uh, the Virginia privacy law, which came into effect January 1st in this year. And then we also have Mississippi and Iowa. Ah, okay. Yes, thank you. There's a there's a snowflake Christmas decoration, I think, that was blocking two of them, so I wasn't able to cheat. I feel like in general, and y'all will tell me if I'm wrong, whenever you start talking about a private right of action, if it's a Republican-held state, you're, that's where the trouble starts, right? Like, they're, like, representing all the... All, frequently representing industry interests and saying, hey, I got to protect myself. If I'm, you know, big business, I don't want every Tom, Dick, and Harry coming after me with a lawsuit uh, for a misstep. Is that true or not true? Look, of the five states that have enacted comprehensive privacy legislation up to this point, none of them include a broad private right of action. Uh, California, you obviously have this narrow little right to sue just for data breaches, but not for violations of the actual kind of consumer privacy uh, elements of the statute. So I think that's a trend that we've seen in both uh, Republican-led states, Democratic-led states, as well as purple states. Uh, One of the things that was actually so interesting last year about the federal privacy proposal, the ADPPA, is that it actually included a pretty, pretty broad private right of action. And that's one of the reasons so many people were thinking that this federal proposal would go so much further than anything we've seen in the states. Uh, up until this point. So you do see many bills introduced. They may include a private right of action. They may include some mechanism uh, to try to reduce the potential for a deluge of somewhat abusive uh, uh, litigation. But to this point, the bills that have actually made it over the finish line, they've not included that uh, element of enforcement or it gets withdrawn at some point in the legislative process. Yeah, I I would just add... um... Gosh, it's a fascinating question because um, Florida, HB9, McFarland's bill HB9 from, from last year and the year before, prior right of action. Deeply, deeply red state, prior right of action, though, right? Uh, now juxtapose that with Washington, deeply blue state in Washington. And that bill has always failed because of Democrat infighting between the prior right of action or not to have a prior right of action, right? The business-friendly Democrats versus the consumer-friendly Democrats. Uh, Michigan, uh, Michigan's bill, uh, Senator Bayer introduced in September, has a prior right of action, Democrat, she's a Democrat. Uh, but, you know, Whitney Westerfield in um, Kentucky, it's up on Kears. I didn't know we were bringing props, so now I feel like I, I failed, right? And here's <laughs> prop behind him. But uh, Westerfield's bill, SB 15, right, has a prior right of action. He's a Republican. So, uh, like it, it, it's sort of, and I heard, you know, it's, it's, I was listening to, uh, Senator Rodriguez from Colorado give a talk at Silicon Flatirons a few months back. And he said, he said, well, you know, like the, the party lines are kind of less important because like, and, you know, in a, he said like in the North, like the, the Democrats are the trial lawyers, but in the South, the Republicans are the trial lawyers. And I never really kind of thought about it that way, but it was like, kind of like this fascinating, I'm not quite sure that that's hundred percent true, but it was just this fascinating, like party lines kind of 
around the prior rate of action, they, they kind of get blurred. They really kind of do, right, depending on the state. Uh, but I completely agree with Kier. Like, obviously, nobody's rung that bell yet. And if that bell gets rung, hmm, that's going to be an interesting one for sure. So you mentioned one of the proposed bills. I think you said Michigan has a proposed has a private right of action. In general, as we look at this list of bills that have been introduced already, as of you know January 2023, most of them are avoiding trying to push for a private right of action or limited private private right of action. What does it look like as far as that specific provisions concerned? It's a great question for Kier. Here, <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it may be the case that the majority actually include a private right of action at this point. Uh, David mentioned uh, Kentucky, uh, brought by a uh, Republican senator, which does include a private right of action that is cabined in some ways, it's more focused on uh, injunctive relief, I believe. Uh, we have uh, New York State, which uh, was brought kind of year after year after year and was kind of its own unique model, uh, very focused on. Uh, duties of loyalty, duties of care type things. Uh, this year, that bill has been amended to look more like uh, the Washington Privacy Act style bills that we see elsewhere, but it does uh, continue to include a private right of action. Uh, we thought we've also got Oregon, which is really interesting because this is the one bill that is kind of entirely new. We all generally saw, saw it coming, and that's because the uh, Oregon Attorney General's office uh, ran a work group where they brought in a variety of stakeholders representing different sectors to get input, uh, to give input on the process as they developed uh, privacy legislation. Uh, so that's been uh, set up. It's got the backing of the uh, State Attorney General's office. It's got a sponsor in both the uh, State Senate and the State House. It also, as it's currently drafted, uh, includes a private right of action. So that's a bill that uh, has significant in-state support. Uh, it has not previously failed, <laughs> which is uh, uh, always a good sign, and it includes a private right of action. So that's one of the reasons that bill is absolutely one to watch. It also contains some interesting uh, other features that I think also try to raise the bar for privacy rights and protections in the U.S. It would include, as currently drafted, a constructive knowledge standard for its protections for children's data, which we haven't seen elsewhere before. It includes some... Uh, uh, additional disclosure requirements, uh, transparency to consumers that we haven't seen before. So it's certainly uh, one to watch. Uh, and then I would have to run down and see private right of action or no on the other bills. But the two that I'm watching closely that went pretty far last session, uh, David mentioned Iowa and Indiana, uh, both of them, no private right of action. What is the constructive knowledge deal? Yeah, so... Generally speaking, in the United States, for children's data, well, when it comes to protecting the privacy of children, this is something rooted in the federal COPPA standard. It has generally what is considered an actual knowledge standard. The privacy rights and protections are, that are specific for children's data kind of kick in when you have actual knowledge that a user is a child. Uh, however, you don't necessarily always know or collect information of who each of your users are, right? So in some cases, you might have a uh, suspicion that, oh, maybe children are using my service, but I don't know what, if each individual account is a child, therefore I don't need to apply those protections. Kind of a constructive knowledge standard is something that we're seeing uh, come forward in some of these federal proposals, as well as with, I think we're seeing the uh, FTC 
uh, really take a close look at this too. And it's kind of asking when should uh, a service know that uh, its users or a particular user is a child and should be extending those heightened privacy rights uh, for children. Uh, obviously, uh, there are kind of considerations and issues in, on both sides. Uh, a standard like this may uh, have the impact of uh, causing companies to collect additional data about individuals so they can make sure they know if their children are not precisely who they are and that way they can avoid liability. Uh, but it's not something that we've seen included in any of the enacted state-level laws at this point. And so that's just one really interesting wrinkle about the Oregon bill as it's currently drafted, which uh, if you're in a company and you're responsible for complying with all these state-level laws, that's something where you would definitely want to look, do we have to do any different business practices? What lawyers do we need to talk to to, to meet this new requirement if Oregon goes into effect? So speaking broadly, I understand why, um, you know, why, for example, sectoral bills around healthcare would be cropping up now after the Dobbs decision. Um, and I kind of understand why states all of a sudden are going nuts with this. You know, it's kind of it seems like it's that copycat scenario of, you know, California residents are protected. Our residents should be protected, that sort of thing. Uh, but the children's stuff. Do you have, can you attribute this to any external factors that are maybe causing some pressure for this type of bill to be introduced now and for these codes to be passing? Have we simply just reached this place with big tech, for example, where there's enough press on, you know, what's happening with your data? How do we protect the kids? Or what kind of factors do you think are influencing the introduction of these bills and codes? David? Yeah, maybe I can take that. I, I mean... This is a the children's stuff, admittedly, right? And maybe I'll say too much, but admittedly, the children's stuff it's close to home for somebody like me. I've got three young boys, 10, 8, and 6. Um, like you get these little bits and pieces, like my 10 year old and my eight year old are talking about. Uh, the other day, they're talking about, like, well, you know, when you're on YouTube, uh, you know, you see this advertisement or that advertisement, and those types of things. Um, and like, I think when you have young kids, again, party lines kind of cease to matter, right? And like in Connecticut in particular, you know, you know guys like Kira and I will watch like the the, the floor the debates before they vote. Um, there was as many Republicans standing up saying we need to do more around children's privacy as there were Democrats in Connecticut. And they had the work group formed and they're, you know, looking at doing, doing children's privacy bills. And you have, you know, Again, the State of the Union, you have um, President Biden talking about children's privacy. So I think I think it's one of those things where um, the, you know, with COVID as well and how much kids were leaning on tech just to get educated. Right. And ed tech kind of, you know, developing along there, but also the social media platforms. You hear stories, you know, these horror stories about, you know, children and the addiction to social media. It comes from a lot of different areas. And I think if you're a parent, right, and you're sending out, and I, I worry about this more than I care to disclose, but I mean, you're sending your kids out. And I think about like, my God, like how do kids do it these days, right? Like I went through high school and like, we didn't have cell phones. We didn't have like social media and all those types of things. And it's tough when you're that age. And like think, sitting around thinking about like, you know, likes on social media and videos and all these types of things that have come out of nowhere about like all of a sudden somebody's taking a video of you and putting it up on social media and you're a kid and how do you digest that in your brain like 
these are issues, again, like these are issues. I just don't view it as party lines, right? I view it as like human being issues, right? Um, that are just like, we can fix this kind of a thing. And, you know, I think you see it from both sides of, of the debate, but I think here it's on a really important point, right? Which is, you know, how do we make these bills so that they're directed at the, the right entities, right? Like, like, do we have that figured out yet? Does the likely to be access standard from the age appropriate design code, does that appropriately get after the businesses that are actually like the focus, right? We can all say like, hey, we should regulate X, right? We, we shouldn't put like the creative analogy, we shouldn't put a defective product out on the market, right? We should all agree that like, hey, if your like car explodes, that's a bad thing, right? So we should probably fix that, right? And have a law around that, right? Consumer protection law. But how do we make sure that that law properly applies to automobile dealers and not to everybody? Right. And that's kind of, I think, how we're trying to figure out this this issue around children's is like, how do we set a standard that applies to the entities that it should apply to and regulates appropriately those entities without bringing in all of these other entities and creating a bunch of legal work or compliance work where really like they were never part of the issue to begin with. Right. And so I think that issue is really kind of it's it's I won't say it's at an infancy. That's 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 not the right kind of way of saying it. But like we still have to figure that out. And I think, too, it's worth noting, like sitting here is 2023. Right. So CCPA went to effect by January 2020. Like we know so much more about privacy law just in the last three years um, because CCPA happened. And we're so much more sophisticated. And we've got so many more lawyers doing it and vendors and tech and all those types of people that I just think we've got a long way to go in children's privacy to get it right. Um, but I think starting as a really as a father of three, I think starting is, is something that we just need to do.